0: What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Golver with the Washington Post. I am joined on the other line, as always, by Michael the Pod Pina. Now, Michael, we have a fun episode, I think, to, to talk about here because over the weekend, The Last Dance quickly refreshed our memory about a kind of an infamous episode in NBA history. That would be Scottie Pippen quitting, flat out quitting on the Chicago Bulls during the 1994 playoffs against the New York Knicks. For those who didn't see it or don't remember, the score was tied 1.8 seconds left. The Bulls are already down 2-0 in this series. The whole season is on the line. Phil Jackson draws up a play uh, for the final shot for Tony Kukoc with Scottie Pippen inbounding the basketball. Pippen at this point, a three-time champion. Kukoc at this point, a rookie. Uh, Pippen, Irate in the moment, decides simply to sit down on the bench and not check into the game. Phil Jackson says, hey man, are you in or out? Scotty says, I'm out. Phil has to replace him. What do you know? Tony Kukoc hits the shot, making Scottie Pippen look basically as bad as possible in that particular moment. Uh, The fallout was pretty swift. Bulls teammates upset. Uh, Bill Cartwright in the locker room gives a tearful speech about how Scotty let everyone down. Steve Kerr is trying to wrap his mind around this idea that Pippen has acted so out of character in the biggest moment of the season. And, you know, the initial fallout from a team perspective wasn't horrible. They regrouped, uh, they won game four, Pippen played pretty well, they pushed the series to seven games, but ultimately, ultimately they lost. But this situation absolutely lingered with Scottie Pippen, in no small part because the words Quentin and Pippin nearly rhyme, and (laughs) everyone was able to figure that out, Michael. So now that we're 26 years removed from that incident, I want to just ask you, first off, was Scottie Pippin in the right? Was he definitely wrong? Was he guilty of a basketball sin that will follow him forever? What's your take on that incredible scene?
1: So, yeah, I haven't seen the episode yet, so I don't know exactly how in-depth they went into it, but... I mean, my take on this is that there's a human element here that's understandable with Scottie Pippen. And, like, if you're him, you're underpaid forever. Jordan finally leaves. You're still underpaid. You're making – you know, I went back and was reading about this game and kind of the, the setting of what was happening with the Bulls and Scotty at the time. And he was making half as much as Tony Kukoc. And so this guy who plays the same position as you, he's an import from Croatia, and Phil Jackson picks him to get the last shot. And so I, I understand why Scottie Pippen is, is frustrated, and this was the straw that broke the camel's back, I would imagine, in his brain, and he just broke a, fr- a fuse, and uh, it's just, it's, it's, it's understandable. I mean, it's also inexcusable, <laughs> and not what you see every day from frustrated people basketball players who have to deal with things in in every game, you know, but um, I see where he's coming from. I don't think it's the biggest deal of all time. It's a little unprofessional, but when I think of Scottie Pippen, I don't think of this game at all.
0: Very interesting. Um, Well, I think of the titles first, for sure, and I'm trying to imagine what would have happened had he done this Uh, before ever winning a title and how much that would have stuck to him. I mean, I think he even got some flack from the migraine game against the Pistons, Mm -hmm. which to me, it's like, you can't hold that against him. I mean, he's he's honestly, I, I consider that an injury. But this is like a willful choice, right? And what's fascinating is the power dynamics back then, right? Because as we know in the modern NBA... If a superstar doesn't like the play, it's not just I'm going to sit down on the bench. You know, he's going to try to flex all the the, the opportunities that he has to either change the play, have a discussion, uh, you know, ultimately try to, you know, bend the reality towards his side. And we saw that happen uh, in the 2015 playoffs when LeBron James scratched a, a last second play by David Blatt in a very similar situation changes things up so he's not going to be the inbounder he's the one who gets to receive the pass he drains the game-winning shot and then to just really rub it into his coach who he clearly didn't really (laughs) respect or trust you know he winds up getting you know going on the podium and telling everyone what he did that that he scratched the play and that basically blatt wanted him to inbound the ball and boy what an idiot blatt is was sort of the main takeaway from that scene so i think to me, one of the the biggest lessons of the Pippen experience is that it was kind of a product of its time. You know, like you're mentioning, the salary stuff is really important. Not only was he not really making that much money, but he was on a long-term contract, right? He had no leverage uh, whatsoever. If he was upset, um, what was he really going to do about it? And I think with the modern superstar players, not only are they making 10 times what Scottie Pippen made but they also have shorter term contracts and they also often have player options, right? So there's constantly that threat of a player leaving. So you have to keep them happy. I guess yeah. my point is Phil Jackson and the Bulls didn't need to cater every single situation to Scotty because ultimately they were in a position to take him for granted, right?
1: No, I mean, that's 100% correct. And the differences between Scotty Pippen and Phil Jackson and LeBron and David Blatt are, are just kind of obvious. I mean, Phil Jackson's coming off three straight titles as a head coach. He's cementing himself as a local legend. And when he says, when he draws up a play, I mean, it's, chances are it's, it's for a particular reason. And I mean, Tony Kukoc did hit the shot and they, and they won the game. They're second in a row after dropping game one, I believe in that series, uh, so for sure, I mean, the well, lem- let's, let's take
0: into that part because how yeah. good was this play? Not that great. I mean, it's a really tough shot. I mean, Kuk- <laughs> Kukoc hits it, right? And like, it's a masterful shot by him, but he, and he had a couple, um, you know, game winners or late, late game shots that season for the bulls, but from a percentage, uh, basis, Pippen was a more efficient shooter than Kukoc. He was a more experienced player. He'd been in a lot uh, of bigger moments in the NBA anyways. The first postseason for Kukoc, I think it was his sixth overall game ever in the playoffs. Um, so I guess I'm coming back to what your original point was. You know, Pippen had a lot of justified reasons to be upset with that decision, right? And um, do you understand where Phil was coming from on this thing at all? Like, why was this his idea? Do you have any idea?
1: No, I mean, I was literally about to ask you the exact same question. Has Did Phil in the doc explain why? he went with Kukoc or did he even address the situation more on a X's and O's level than an emotional level? And cause like, I would imagine that it's like, I have Scotty, the defense knows that we're going to go to Scotty Pippen here. And Tony Kukoc is a perfect kind of, uh, not, I guess he's, he's, it's the diversion that uh, Scotty, we, we, we are in a better position if we have Scotty Pippen as the diversion and we go to Tony who's capable of hitting a big shot. And so it's kind of just an unexpected move. That would be my guess as to what Phil's mentality was at the time. I don't know though. Is, did, did they go into it in the doc? No, he didn't really address it. I think that, I mean, one defense would be
0: Pippen's your best passer. So he's your inbounder. And so the best possible combination of passer and shot maker would be Pippen and Kukoc. If you try to have Pippen be the shot maker, maybe you have a lesser passer inbounding the ball. Um, it could have also been the fact that Kukoc had hit some shots earlier, uh, you know, in the season that gave Phil confidence in him. It could have also been that um, just a surprise element, you know, maybe New York's not preparing yeah. for for Kukoc to have the, the ball in that moment. I mean, there's a couple of different explanations. I mean, it could have also been a Zen Master mind game on Pippin. I mean, who knows, right? Like, (laughs) like, there's that legendary aspect, too, of like, what was Phil thinking? Um, But I do want to kind of return this idea of, like, how much has changed between then and now, because... Um, as you mentioned, you know, Phil has established himself as an icon at that point. He's already won three titles. Um, they have this big overachieving season without Jordan. So like the Phil Jackson myth making is really going full bore. And same deal for Scotty. I mean, he was third in MVP voting that year, had an incredible season, 55 wins. I mean, that's no joke. Um, and so I think there aren't very many coaches in the modern NBA right now who would have the same level of security as Phil Jackson back then, like how many guys do you think are even kind of in a comparable position where they would be able to go away from their star player in a big moment? Uh, I mean, Greg Popovich comes to mind, uh, yeah. may- maybe Doc Rivers. I mean, he's got a couple of guys he could go to, but still, I really feel like Kawhi's taking just about every shot. Yeah, um, Doc's not an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, that's another thing, too, is that catering, two star players has become good business for coaches, right? Because they're just getting fired left and right constantly. So uh, they've sort of got that message uh, loud and clear. But
1: how many coaches do you think are kind of in that spot to pull a fill? Not a lot. Uh, I mean, the thing with like, it, it's the the contrast here of just wanting to utilize your star player. But then as we've talked about earlier, like the fact that the star player has the leverage. So even though Doc Rivers has enormous clout, uh, uh, he's an enormously high respect level around the league, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are have constructed their contracts so that they could bounce at any point. So they, they have the maximum leverage. I mean, it, that's just kind of what, the league is today. So, I mean, I, some coaches that come to mind, I guess like Eric Spolstra, probably. Um, it makes me think of the, a situation recently with the Celtics and Brad Stevens and Kyrie Irving when he was there in that Buck series. And it's not the exact same thing of, you know, going back to just one end of game situation, but Brad Stevens probably should have benched Kyrie Irving in that series just because of how ridiculously out of control he was in a lot of ways. And he didn't for whatever reason. And so, I mean, I think when I say whatever reason, the the reason is that they want to re-sign Kyrie Irving and keep Kyrie Irving happy. Yeah. The Uh, reason is that amorphous politics,
0: right? That's what everybody always calls it. The politics of benching Kyrie in that moment uh, did not favor even a guy as well-respected as Brad Stevens.
1: Yeah, 100%. So, I mean, there's just, there's not a lot of coaches here. I mean, we're about to talk about uh, some, some quitters (laughs) throughout NBA history that come to mind. And uh, like Rick Carlisle, that's another coach that could probably get away with some things because he has the championship. But like, it's it's just, it's really, it's a really short, short list. I can't think of really any other names.
0: For sure. And like the coaching salaries have increased as well since the 90s, no question, right? But they haven't increased as fast as the player salaries. And I think that the, the fact that players have done these team-up scenarios, the fact that we're in the player empowerment era where your entire organization hinges on a guy's mood, right? Has basically have all sorts of uh, ramifications and side effects. I mean, this idea that you would ever want your best player to be pouting because of something your coach did is like now anathema, right? Like that's just not acceptable. And it's just a very different environment than what Pippen was, uh, you know, living through back then. I do want to return to that Popovich example real quick. And I mentioned this in my Washington Post newsletter on this subject. Mm-hmm. I encourage everyone to go read it. So Popovich had a very interesting late game situation in the 2013 finals. People will remember with the series on the line, season on the line, he takes Duncan off the court for matchup Mm. purposes. They concede a defensive rebound that winds up becoming the Ray Allen three-pointer, right? Mm. Uh, Had Duncan been on the court, Duncan's fans will tell you he gets that rebound, right? No matter where he was standing on the court, that's just the, the way that the counter history always goes. It's like, look, if he's on the court, he's never letting that happen, and they win the title. Now, Duncan never pushed back that I heard publicly on Popovich's decision there. Um, you know, He basically just like kind of took one for the team. And not only that, um, he didn't try to force himself onto the court in the moment, right? So there wasn't this like, you know, push and pull similar to uh, the Pippen thing. I mean, he just kind of accepted the coach's word, which is a, uh, you know, a good reflection of Popovich's authority in that moment. You know, with the season on the line, he can put his franchise icon on the bench. And the next season, uh, reflecting Popovich's authority even more, they come back and win the title with Duncan leading the way, right? So that just shows you how bought bought in he is. However, a couple years later, Kawhi successfully forces his way out of San Antonio, right? And over Popovich is trying to like go to San Diego and meet him and talk him into everything. It's like That authority that Popovich had wielded so brilliantly over Duncan or, or their shared relationship that had existed for more than a decade Kind of disappeared when he was dealing with a quote unquote more modern superstar in Kawhi Leonard, right? So I guess the point there is even the Phil Jackson of our day, uh, who we would say is Greg Popovich from an influence standpoint, Mm -hmm. cannot withstand an angry superstar anymore, right? And so I think that just tells you uh, all you need to know. I guess my thesis statement to boil it all down here, Michael, is that the Scottie Pippen situation could never happen in 2020 because, first of all, he would be getting the last shot if he's not getting the last shot he would be demanding the last shot and probably getting it if he's still not getting it he wouldn't be sitting down on the bench because then you know social media and, and twitter and everybody's going nuts you know calling him a quitter i mean the the fear of like worldwide reprisal on sports national talk shows and everything else would be you know pretty pretty strong so he would probably go along with the plan but even if both sides just didn't budge even if Phil Jackson's like look this is the play man and Scotty's like you know what I have to sit out. I just have no other way around it. Even if that still happened, Scotty would be able to demand a trade or get the coach fired, right? So like there's no way that a player, it would be in Pippen's situation where he loses in the moment and he also loses in the aftermath. And I think that's a reflection of why basically that whole
1: situation from, from start to finish would just never happen today. Could I, could I give you a hypothetical or I just ask you a question where I think this situation maybe could arise today. Ooh, please. Let's hear it. So we'll use the Clippers as an example just because they have two stars that are about the same age who probably view themselves on the same level in terms of talent, um, even though Kawhi is better than Paul George. Uh, Let's say, like, there's a playoff game where Kawhi just does not have it. You know, he's 3 for 12 from the field. He has not scored in the fourth quarter. Just it's not his night, and it's a close game. And meanwhile, Paul George is kind of carrying the team, and he's got like 39 or whatever, and he's just hit three threes in a row. And you know they're down two. Uh, Doc Rivers calls timeout, and he draws up a play for Kawhi Leonard, and Paul George is just really not taking that well could you see paul george flipping out in that moment and feeling just the utmost disrespect from his coach and just feeling like he deserves to take that final shot is that a scenario that seems feasible to you well here's the thing i mean we've
0: these things can work out without people you know plopping themselves on the bench and going on strike right right (laughs) there's other there's other conflict resolution strategies and so for example we saw LeBron uh late in the 2016 finals defer to Kyrie and say let him have this possession right like that that's a pretty well-known situation coming out of a Mm -hmm. huddle so it could resolve if Kawhi just knows he doesn't have it he could say you know what let's give Paul this one right if um you know, it, or Doc Rivers might say, Hey, Kawhi, you don't have it right now. I'm going to go with Paul on this one. So that's definitely a, a way around that. Uh, another situation that could happen, though, frankly, in terms of resolving things is look, Paul has to realize he's the number two guy on that team, right? I mean, there's a pecking order on every organization. And when Paul's the one joining Kawhi, Kawhi's the one masterminding things, and is the better player right now. Um, that that pecking order is very clear. Now, Paul George did surpass Russell Westbrook on the pecking order in Oklahoma City, and that did kind of change things uh, in terms of their dynamic when they were playing together and, and some of the decisions that they made in various spots. But I think uh, if push came to shove, just knowing Paul George as a player, I think he would go with the program personally. I think he would defer to Kawhi. Um, If Kawhi wanted the shot, that's how it would be. And he has to make peace with that because he's the one who joined Kawhi's team. That's my breakdown. What do you think? You think Paul George is going on strike?
1: No, I mean, first of all, I think using the Westbrook example is kind of funny because uh, I agree that Paul George had surpassed Westbrook on the hierarchy of that team that season. I don't think that Russell Westbrook would agree. And so maybe even if we kind of switch the hypothetical to the Rockets going forward, where it's obviously Harden's team and blah, blah, blah. But like, as we saw down the stretch before the season went on on hiatus, Russell Westbrook might have been the better player for, uh, you know, quite a bit of time there. So, like, I could see a, a situation where even those, those, even though those two guys get along, they both see themselves as the best player. And I, I mean, I don't think I, I'm, I'm fundamentally agreeing with you that the Scottie Pippen thing will never happen again for a variety of reasons, but. Now that we're talking about it, I kind of wish that <laughs> that we got to see it again with someone like no. Westbrook or, or Harden or something like that. It's dramatic theater. But I guess my point is that you
0: have to take the entire scene, including the aftermath. Mm-hmm. And that's why it can't happen again, right? Because let's yeah. say that Westbrook does get snubbed, right? And he's just like, you know what? I thought we were friends, James. You screwed me over. I had 42 points. <laughs> you wouldn't let me get the last shot. You know, this is irreconcilable. Westbrook has options. Even with one of the craziest contracts in the league, if he wants out, they have to trade him, right? So then he can go have, if he, if he really wants to go to his own team where he's going to get the last shot and people are going to cater to him, he has that ability. The problem for Scottie Pippen is if he hates Jerry Krause, now hates Phil Jackson, clearly really hates Tony Kukoc, and he wants out. It's like, sorry, bud, uh, you're under contract for the next five years. <laughs> like, we're not going to trade you. You have no chance, right? You have no choice. And, you know, that's kind of, uh, honestly, one of the, um, the, the reasons that, you know, I, I tend to feel a little sympathy and almost pity for Pippen at, at various points of his career, right? Like, it, I mean, Wait, no one's so, forcing him to play basketball, but like, he has no out. He has no leverage. He's stuck because of the economics of the league at that point.
1: No, and real quick, I'm looking back at the box score of that game, and guess how many minutes Tony Kukoc played? Uh, I don't know offhand. 13. <laughs> so it's not like he was on fire uh, that game. I wonder if they touched on this too much in the duck and I'm kind of No,
0: they 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 uh kind of skated through this scene, which is why I wanted to bring it up and give it a little bit of more yeah. time because I think it's one of the touchstone moments of the 90s playoffs. Um that's yeah, there was moments where he would be almost treated you know a little bit more like a role player. I mean, part of it was that it's a tough matchup for him, right? I mean, you got the big burly New York Knicks trying to foul everyone. And then, you know, Kukoc has this reputation as kind of a one-way player
1: and, and maybe still adjusting to the NBA physicality and everything. Right. That was his, his first year. And I, I, in that article that I was referencing earlier, um, it was written during the training camp the following year, where it was kind of like the Bulls trying to pick up the pieces and get over what happened uh, in this series And there's this note that Scottie Pippen still had not spoken to Tony Kukoc and was avoiding him at the following year's training camp. Like, (laughs) that is just, that is epic. I did not know that it went that deep with him. Oh, that's a great point. I'm over here shedding crocodile tears
0: for Scottie Pippen. Maybe I should be crying (laughs) for Tony Kukoc, right? Just maybe. Now, Michael, uh, you you hinted at this a, a minute ago but we're gonna use this Scottie Pippen situation as a jumping off point to run through some of the biggest quitters in NBA history. And I guess before we hop into this, um, what's your take on quitting? Like, you know, some people view Pippen as basically committing like a cardinal sin of sports. And I'll be honest, like I'm kind of in that camp, Um, you know, just letting your teammates down, putting yourself before the team, especially in such a high pressure moment, especially when the whole season is on the line. Uh, to me, it's unforgivable. Like I understand his position. I get it, you know, and I tend to agree with him. But like, ultimately you have a choice, you know, play or don't play. And uh, to me, he just made the wrong choice and it was unforgivable. Um, but that being said, I think everyone's quit at some point in their life. Like, I'm not trying to say that. Uh, <laughs> I'm like up here on a high horse. Like I, I mean, I was trying to think like, what are the most memorable quitting moments in my life? And I try really hard not to be a quitter, but I, I do remember, you know, a couple of years after I graduated college, I was, you know, working as a, you know, a teacher and kind of as a night job just for extra money to pay rent and all that. I was delivering newspapers uh, around Portland, Oregon, and it was a pretty brutal job. I mean, I was going up and down staircases, it was like a full body workout. And it was also, of course, at like three or four o'clock in the morning when I was doing this and, um, you know... Every once in a while, you'd just be too tired. You'd be dragging. Uh, you know, you wouldn't want to go up the extra flight of stairs. You somebody wouldn't get their paper, and of course, that person's going to call and complain because they're paying for their paper and they should get it right. <laughs> um, you know, you get enough of those, and eventually, we had this big team meeting, and, and the guy who was kind of in charge of all the newspaper carriers in the area was like, "Look, guys, you got to step it up. Look, it's now or never." You know, he gave us that big locker room speech, and. No disrespect to him, but he wasn't Phil Jackson, Michael. Um, And you know, I came away from that speech, and I was like, you know, kind of doing the Scotty Pippen thing of like, well, I'm not making that much money from this. This is like a huge inconvenience because I basically have to do it every single night. Um, I'm not getting any sleep because I'm like sleeping in like you know two different batches, like you know sleeping before and then going back to sleep for like an hour or two afterwards. So it's like very disruptive like, this just isn't for me. I'm out, right? And so that, in that situation, I did have to quit. I felt pretty bad about it because, again, I, I don't love quitting, but it did happen, Michael. It's a, a strike against my name. So I guess, you know, from your perspective, before we hop into just bashing the NBA's mm-hmm. biggest quitters, are, you, are uh, <laughs> ha, what's your take on quitting? Are you cool with it? Are you open to it? Are you a serial quitter? I mean, what's your stance?
1: No, I've actually. Uh, you kind of plopped this question on me right before we started to record, and I've actually thought of a, a really great example of a time in my life that I quit. And okay, now just I'm going to warn you
0: just up front. If this okay. is really a good example, I'm going to bring it up to mock
1: you mercilessly for the rest of time on this podcast. So just you know, keep that in mind. No, you. It, it's it's unmockable in my opinion. Um, so let, let me bring the listeners back to the set the scene. It's. Uh, I'm a freshman in high school, and I, I signed up for photography 101 as an elective. And I'm like, we're, we're maybe two classes in, and I just despise everything about it. I hate going into the dark room. There's like no, I think yeah, digital photography was a thing, but we were not. It was not a like obviously there were no iPhones. Just photography was in a different place at at, at this time period. And I hated it. I hated how patient I had to be with it. I kept screwing up in the dark room. The dark room was creepy. I'll really never get over the fact that people used to develop photographs that way. Um, And so what I did was I said, screw this. And I transferred to Journalism 101 in the middle of the semester. Quit photography. Wow. And... That's basically the rest of my life. Like that was the the,
0: fundamental decision of in your entire life, Michael. That's incredible. Humongous. For a minute there, I thought you said you were going to transfer high school. So I was like, God, what a diva. But you just transferred classes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Have you seen The Crown by any chance? Uh, the television show, yeah, the Netflix show about you know Queen uh, Elizabeth and all that, because there's
1: some dark room scenes that I imagine brought back horrible flashbacks for you. No, you saw them. My, that, that's one of my wife's favorite shows. I, I refuse to watch it with her, and now you've just cemented it where I will absolutely <laughs> never watch an episode for as long as I live. That's amazing. We didn't
0: have a photography class. I'm kind of jealous, uh, but I get what you mean sometimes it's sort of like when you're learning how to write cursive, you know, and you're like, come on, bro, like everyone's typing, like, why are we doing this? Like, we don't live in like Victorian England, you know, we could just use the the latest technology. Uh, When you're forced to do something the old way, it can be super aggravating. Well, now that we're both established as just full on quitters with red cues on our chest, Michael, um, Mm -hmm. let's, you know, now we can dive in and just smash some players. How
1: about Rajon Rondo with the Dallas Mavericks? What a quitter. I just, I knew you were going to, you sent me over a list of some names and this was right at the top. And it's like, you know, that that hits me real hard. It hits me personally. Well, this is what Um, I want to hear. What's the defense? Because here's what I saw. Okay. Here's the evidence. (laughs) I'm going to be the
0: prosecutor. You'd be the defense attorney. Okay. um, yeah. Prosecutor says the fit in Dallas, which, you know, is a trade he didn't ask for but the fit is not going great. They get to the playoffs. He's walking the ball up the court to get eight second violations. He is just not defending James Harden or he's just like aggressively and carelessly fouling James Harden. And then he's just not paying attention on his defensive rotations. And so they're just giving these wide open threes to the younger Rockets, like the the <laughs> 2015 Rockets. It gets so bad that Rick Carlisle pulls him from the game, never puts him back in. He's sitting on the bench looking angry, afterward basically no comments and they come up with the fake injury so he doesn't play the rest of the series the mavericks actually vote to not give him his playoff share because he quits so badly which is like a a very rare move by players basically saying we don't even want to Mm -hmm. pay you because you know you did the the equivalent of walking out of photography class and then ultimately had you know things got so bad he had to sign a, a contract with the sacramento kings which is always just you know Uh, underscores how dark your life has gotten and he was supposed to get a big like multi-level not max Mm -hmm. but you know a big contract that summer look I know he's your guy I know he's had some incredible playoff moments I'm gonna grant you all that
1: but he quit pretty hard there didn't he I mean, I it's like I can't even be the public defender here. Yeah, of course he quit. It's like, it's like he I remember this game like it was yesterday with the just the explosion from Rick Carlisle coming out walking off the sideline calling time out, them exchanging F bombs into the commercial break. I mean, it was it was good theater. Um the one thing I'll say is like and you mentioned it, like it's just t- I, I like I kind of Am able to empathize a little bit with players in situations like this, where it's like he, sure, he's making a million millions of dollars, et cetera, and he understands that it's a business and you can get traded. But it, that was just a, a really difficult time in his career, and I imagine in his life, where you know they're the, the, it's the end of an era with the Celtics. He's the last man standing. It's unclear if they're going to pay him a uh, another a hefty contract because he was underpaid on his rookie extension and uh kind of build around him I mean at the time there were these rumors about Kevin Love them them pairing up Rondo and Kevin Love and trying to 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 build something special around those two uh and then for him to just kind of get moved to Dallas for like scraps almost I mean that was it wasn't like a huge package and Dallas was like pretty good but it wasn't you know they weren't like contending for a title or anything and I, I mean I can see why he would be seething why it would be a super frustrating situation that said he handled it in probably the worst possible way and yeah I got no excuses for it yeah, it's
0: funny when you're his public defender and you quit, and that's the one thing that public defenders <laughs> aren't allowed to do, Michael. That's the whole idea of the public defender. You can't quit, you have to defend your uh, client. Uh, you know, it's a dark situation. That was well laid out. I mean, he was going through a lot, the injury, especially. Um, and, you know, just trying to wrap your mind around your changing career. Uh, But for it to play out that way, you know, I understand where his teammates were coming from. They were just like, what the heck happened? And yeah, you know, that's the thing about playoff basketball, though. You know, it's like that pressure is so real. I mean, the stuff that Michael Jordan's always talking about throughout this documentary about preparing his teammates for the big moment, that's not made up jargon. Like, it's a different feeling. I know you can feel it when you're going into buildings, Michael, you know, big playoff games. Everybody's got nerves. That's just how it is. And I think that those situations, you know, pressure bust pipes and, and and that one with Rondo. Hey, guys, what's up? This is Ben Golver with the Open Floor Podcast. A healthy lifestyle should be easy, right? Eat veggies, drink green smoothies, exercise to get your heart rate up, do yoga to bring your heart rate down. Well, maybe not so easy, but there is something that helps improve everything and you can do it with your eyes closed. It's Sleep. Sleep Number knows what it takes to sleep your best. The Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed lets you choose your ideal firmness, comfort, and support on each side, your Sleep Number setting. It's the perfect solution for couples. These beds are so smart, they respond to your every move and automatically adjust to keep you sleeping comfortably all night. Proven quality sleep is life changing sleep. And now, for a limited time during the Memorial Day sale, save $1,000 on the new Sleep Number Special Edition Smart Bed. That's a queen now for only $17.99. You'll only find Sleep Number at Sleep Number stores or by visiting www.sleepnumber.com. That's www.sleepnumber.com for the Memorial Day sale. Hey guys, what's up? This is Ben Golliver with the Open Floor Podcast. Here's a catch-22. How do you build credit when you don't have payment history to build on? The industry has made it hard for people to understand how to take control of their credit, but here's a quick take. If you want to build credit, your payment history goes a long way. Many people rely on secured credit cards to build credit, but those can require hefty upfront deposits. Now there's a new way to build credit. Meet Self. Self's Credit Builder account lets you responsibly build credit with no credit check required to start. Choose a monthly payment plan that works for your budget. You build credit history with each on-time payment, your payments become savings in your name, and you get the principal back at the end, minus interest and fees. Credit history impacts major life decisions like car purchases, rental agreements, and home ownership. Self gets you on the path to positive credit history in three simple steps— Apply for a credit builder account online or through the app. Choose the amount and terms that fit your budget. Each on-time payment builds your credit history. Once your account is paid off, you have savings set aside minus interest and fees and a positive credit history to build on. Access your account online or through the easy-to-use mobile app in all 50 states. Your account is secure, it doesn't require a hard pull on your credit, and it puts savings in your name. Start building your credit history today with Self. Get started in just five minutes at self.inc slash floor. That's S-E-L-F dot I-N-C slash floor. Inc. slash floor. It did. All right. Let's move on to a guy who I, I have a feeling you're going to enjoy maybe taking down a little bit. Um, would you throw Andrew Bynum, like his uh, his spearing of J.J. Berea into this quitting conversation?
1: this is this is an interesting one Um, I probably would include it it is certainly a name that pops into your head when you think about someone who quit and like I guess we should say at the top that calling someone out for quitting in in an NBA uh, context is like the worst thing that you could possibly say about someone so um, that, that said like I, I think that the what he did to J.J. Barea was just one of the most despicable things, and uh, Mike Tirico, when he was calling the game, literally said it was, like, the one of the most Bushly, Bush League plays he's ever witnessed as a broadcaster. Well, but,
0: Michael, what would you compare it to, or, like, how would you even describe what he did to J.J. Barea? I mean, it— To me, it's sort of like when people are like landscaping trees, but they're not trying to trim them, right? They're just trying to bring them down with the the hacksaw. I mean, it was sort of a hacksaw move, wasn't it?
1: (laughs) (laughs) It was like one of the most dangerous plays that you'll ever see. I mean, J.J. is airborne and he just gets a forearm to the side um, from one of the strongest guys in the league. I I think when I think of uh, Andrew Bynum and the word quit, it definitely translates more to his... Experience with the Philadelphia 76ers, where yeah, he had knee problems, and knee problems were kind of a thing that plagued his entire career and ultimately cut it short. But if you remember, I mean, He's out bowl. There's the whole bowling thing, um, where he's supposed to be in rehab, and he kind of reaggravates the injury because he's in bowling shoes and uh, not supposed to be doing that. Uh, So it's just like not taking your rehab seriously, not taking basketball, um, not prioritizing your career or professional basketball when you probably should be. Uh, that's something that's harder to kind of come to grips with, especially if you're like a fan of the Philadelphia 76ers. I'm sure they have no love lost for him to this day, even though he kind of kickstarted the the process and that led to where they are now. But that's more when I think of quitting, like I think of the J.J. Barea moment is just super despicable. Like in the, at the time the game was basically decided and they were about to get swept. But, uh, but like to, to kind of calculate your, your your have time to calculate your, your thought process in Philadelphia and just decide that you're never going to play a game there. That's just, that's like textbook quitting to me. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. I mean, here's why I would throw him into the quitting conversation because I think sometimes quitting can just be slinking off to the side of the court, sort of like that Isaiah Thomas, like leaving early or the mm-hmm. Rondo, you know, just kind of like, okay, you know, coach, I'm, I'm pushing your hand, right? You, you have to make a decision here. But I think sometimes quitting comes out through frustration and hard fouls. Like Bynum's a great sure. example. You know, Dwight Howard getting ejected from his last Lakers game. I would consider that to be another quitting scene. Do you remember that where like Kobe Bryant had to come back on the bench Um, even though he was injured. And like the Staples Center gave him this big round of applause. And it was like, this is our actual leader. Dwight Howard was, you know, a fraud the whole time. I mean, you remember the optics of that situation, right?
1: I mean, that was one of the most depressing seasons, I think, any organization has had in a very long time. Um, Just in terms of on-court issues, uh, you know, the expectations for the Lakers that year were uh, through the roof. It was like Kobe, it was Powell, it was Dwight. It was Steve Nash, and, like, there were three coaches that season, which I don't think a lot of people remember, and I want to just get in Dwight's corner and be his public defender for just a second. Um, Dwight had back surgery in April 2012, right when he was wrapping things up with the Orlando Magic, and he didn't miss any games at the start of that season, which is kind of miraculous and... You know, he was heading into free agency. He had a lot on the line, and I just don't think he gets enough credit for for kind of what he put up with that season. Now, obviously, off the court, he did not mesh at all with Kobe, and there was that whole drama. Um, I just don't think you can pin a lot of the struggles of that season just on Dwight, uh, and I think that he tried his best, and I mean, it was in his prime. 27 years old and uh didn't have to play as hard as he did or as often as he did and so i i i, I at the end it, it ended just terribly and that call came kind of crashing down but i kind of think dwight deserves more due for that season
0: well i think that your point is related to why it ended that way it goes back to this idea of frustration i mean he's carrying a pretty big burden mm-hmm. everything is collapsing around him steve nash is going down uh, coach goes down. I mean, everything. Just like you know, it's chaos. You're playing against a tested team in the San Antonio Spurs in the playoffs. You're probably mm-hmm. realizing very early in that series that you have no shot, right? Um, and you also realize that you're going to be the scapegoat because no one's ever going to blame Kobe for anything, and he's injured. So no. what, what are you going to say? And you know, ultimately, there was so much hype and expectation with Dwight coming in that you know, he's just naturally set up for this. And I think that it's not a coincidence that he winds up getting ejected from his last game, right? I think it's almost like in in hindsight, natural. I will say this. At the time, I thought Kobe Bryant going back to the bench was just so theatrical. And I remember like rolling my eyes at it and like, oh my God, really? This is going to be how they try to like, you know, spin the next chapter. I think, it actually kind of holds up pretty well in terms of like Kobe's role as that Lakers ambassador. If you go back and look at it now, I feel like, you know, for the Lakers fans, they just needed something. Right. And Kobe was the one who was there for them. And like, it doesn't, it's not like some massive turnaround. They never really reclaimed respectability at any point during Kobe's, uh, you know, the, the next few years of Kobe's career, because he was constantly injured but it was that emotional bond that was genuine between them that outsiders may not quite have understood at the time. I think it winds up aging pretty well.
1: Yeah, I, I see that. Um, I have a, I guess like a kind of a big picture philosophical question for you when it comes Ooh. to thinking about players who who quit, because I, have, I, a, love I have a whole, yeah, I have a whole long list of guys that inarguably quit, like by textbook definition, but then there's some others where I could see fans using the word quit. And I, I wouldn't necessarily agree, but I wanted to kind of bring it up for you. So, like, where do you put a guy who's a superstar who leaves a team in free agency or demands a trade? So, uh, Kevin Durant in 2016. Did nope. he quit? Nope. My, nope. <laughs> okay. Not, okay. not a quit. So, Sorry, no. Okay. Okay, so Michael Jordan in '93 is not a quitter.
0: No, oh, come on, man. No. Okay,
1: I'm just I, I'm just asking the question. Don't kill the don't kill the messenger. Uh, my last one is a little more interesting, I think, uh, or it could be just in the same box. Uh, LeBron in 2014, in 2010, in 2018. Are we putting a little bit of quit on what happened? Because I mean, I don't think he quit. I think you could argue that what he did quit on was the team that he left because he did not see it as a winning situation or a a circumstance where he could benefit himself. No, no, no. Here's my definition.
0: Can you look back at the end and say, you did everything that you possibly could? Can you make it right? Can you look at yourself in the mirror and said, I gave it my all? In 2014, in that finals, LeBron was the only one who didn't quit. Everybody else just ran out of gas. I thought he, he played... Uh, that last season for Miami with his head high especially in that final series they were just overwhelmed by a much better team so I don't hold that one against him um the Cleveland situation the second one uh the writing was on the wall he telegraphed it you know he made it pretty obvious like you know he was gonna move towards the next chapter I don't if mm-hmm. if you can pitch this thing as evolving right and like you know it's kind of intentional uh and you and you don't have anything to be ashamed of and certainly 2018 finals when he's putting up 51 in game one I mean he's leaving it all out on the court he's doing his part right so I definitely don't consider that quitting now I think 2010 people said the whole quitness you know like I'm a quitness yeah. and all that um the, the final game <laughs> just rolls right off the tongue doesn't it? I know it's so clever man uh so clever those people in Ohio <laughs> um no I think that's the closest one because his final performance against the Celtics just left a lot to be desired Um, and because when he left the court, it, it felt very ominous. It was like, wait a minute. Like we thought this was just going to be the Cavaliers version of Michael Jordan. This did not go well. In fact, it went about as poorly as it could have gone. He does not seem happy. Oh God is, you know, is our life about to come crashing down. But, um, you know, even in that situation, You know, we're talking about free agents. You know, I I don't view that, uh, you know, that kind of a life choice as quitting. You know, I think people get to leave their jobs whenever they want.
1: Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I'm not going to disagree with you. Uh, I think one of the most miraculous things about that final game against uh, Boston, I think it was, was that a game seven? No, that was game six when he lost in 2010. Um, Plays 46 minutes, uh, 27 points, 19 rebounds, 10 assists, and... It's like when we look back at that game, he didn't play up to up to kind of his potential, and they lost by nine and all that. But uh, there was also like the elbow and the Mister mysterious elbow injury and all that. But it, it, we're also talking about an NBA that was pre the decision, which. It's hard to go back and kind of put ourselves in that mindset where free agency was just viewed completely differently than it is now. I mean, a lot of people were, were still were stunned in the moment when he chose Miami. Uh, so I, I think the the whole quit thing at that time was just it was viewed differently and it was defined differently than it is today. Oh, for sure, and I think the
0: the people who are defining it were using a very like patronizing definition of like you're our yeah. player, and I think that's you know unhealthy. Well, here's another example that's kind of related to that. Another big name you know, Vince Carter for years was said to have quit on the Toronto Raptors and basically kind of trying to force his way out of town. And, you know, rather than, you know, doing it kind of saying it with his chest, you know, he was, you know, tiptoeing around kind of behind closed doors and, you know, making his unhappiness kind of known. And um, obviously he was one of their, you know, first signature players as an organization. And so the fact that he didn't want to be there hurt a lot of people's feelings deeply and they turned on him for a long time. Now, I think to their credit they've let some of that angst kind of wash away over the years and now i think he's maybe received a little bit better than he was for a while and there's talk of maybe retiring his jersey number and all that stuff but time heals
1: all wounds yeah
0: right but did he quit on them you know would you put him into that category
1: uh i think it's like this is one of the inarguable ones i think right like Yeah, he quit. (laughs) He was, he he badly wanted to leave. He wasn't playing as hard as he could. He was, um, you know, I I went back days before he was traded. He was accused. Do you remember this? He was accused of telling the Seattle Supersonics what play the Raptors were going to run at the end of a game. I do Do remember remember that. That's some Benedict Arnold stuff, man. You can't, you can't be doing that. (laughs) This is war. You can't be giving out your uh, troop movements. Come on. I know. Uh, so I'm just going to read a quick a uh, uh, quick sentence from this article. Uh, With 29 seconds left, the Raptors called timeout. When they returned to the court, the Tacoma News Tribune reported that Carter told the Sonics, it's a flare, it's a flare. Carter responded to this by saying, I'm not going to comment on something as ridiculous as that. So it was a classic non-denial denial by, uh, by Vince Carter there. I, I mean, it's, uh, I'm not going to say that he 100% did this because like everyone who's quoted in that article says that he did not do it. But at the same time, it's, like, it's really funny that that was actually in print and something that could be conceivable at the time. Man, well, that's why we don't get a sit court set anymore, Michael, because
0: <laughs> situations <laughs> like that, um, you know, overhearing that kind of stuff, it gets, uh, you know, it gets a little bit dangerous. Who else is on your list of quitters? I'm curious, because um, it sounds to me like you are willing to kind of go beyond just the basketball court with this potentially into other actions. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I mean, real quick, why don't we start with the, the on the court quitting? um which is a little i mean it's tough to kind of even separate the two to be honest with you so i'll just go through some names um i'm going to start way way back um just because coincidentally over the weekend i read uh will chamberlain's autobiography that he wrote in 1973 um and in it he really talks about how <laughs> after almost every single season of his career he threatened to quit <laughs> <laughs> For a variety of different reasons, which I found very comical, including the nineteen in 1969 when he uh, infamously asked out of a game seven against the Celtics, and uh, you know, hurt his fell over, hurt his knee with four minutes to go. Uh, uh, the Lakers were down like 13 or something like that. They crawl within two or three. He wants back in the game and his coach refuses to make a substitution and the Lakers lose to Bill Russell in Bill Russell's final season in his final game. Uh, so that's like the most, and then there was this whole beef with him and Bill Russell about, you know, Russell basically said that he quit in that moment and that Russell himself would never do something like that. So that, uh, I think that's one of the most famous just on court quitting situations and Chamberlain denies doing that. Um, said his knee actually really did hurt, but, Throughout the whole book, he's talking about how he would, you know, he he was leveraging the Harlem Globetrotters and stuff like that with ownership in Philadelphia and in San Francisco, and he wasn't happy with the situation. So um, I think he's probably the most, uh, I guess the most famous example in some ways. not. I mean, in modern times, it's kind of hard to, that's like 50 years ago, but yeah, well, that's a pretty I big mean, example.
0: Granted, you haven't like done an MRI on his knee, but are you accusing him of quitting? Or do you,
1: are you taking Bill Russell's side here? Are you saying that I might be wearing some green goggles right now? Is no, that what no, you're no, accusing no, me of? No, I just, I want a verdict. That's all. I
0: mean, I, I don't know. Like, here's the thing. When Somebody spears JJ Bray out of the air. There's there's no there's no real room for interpretation. It's like, "No, nah, you just wanted to go to the locker room. You're done." When a guy has an injury, especially in that moment, I tend to give like a large amount of leeway, right? Like I don't think I've ever made a Paul Pierce wheelchair joke, you know. I don't think you know any of that stuff. I and maybe it's because I've had my own traumatic health history, right? Um Mhm. I guess I just from hearing that rundown, I'm thinking, you know what, Bill Russell, you kicked his butt enough. You don't need to say he quit. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, you, you worked this guy for like a decade straight. It's fine. Like you don't need to, uh, you know, bring in this idea that he's soft and he can't handle pain and all that.
1: Um, so I'm just wondering if, if you're taking a different tack Uh, I'm going to say he just because I'm going to say he quit. Yeah, sure. Why not? Um, a few, a few other names that I, that I think, we, <laughs> a few other names that I think we should go through right now. Uh, Jason Kidd, who kind of quit on the Nets as a player, he quit on the Nets as a coach uh like uh, where do you stand on jason kidd and just his whole it's a it's a very shady there's a lot of shady stuff with jason kidd throughout his career just kind of where do you stand on that one um the
0: where i stand is it's incredible that his name made a short list for the nets coach after what you've described like how many times (laughs) do we need to go back through this thing um no i think he's one of those guys who just kind of like smiles and nods through it like i had this um I had this drama teacher in middle school who basically told us Mm -hmm. the secret to life was smiling and nodding. Like if we ever got ourselves into a a tough situation, just smile and nod and just kind of keep doing that. And it is surprisingly brilliant. It really will work. Um, especially the NBA where everybody's, you know, buddy, buddy, handshakes and stuff. Hey, just smile and nod. (laughs) We're doing great. Um, I, that's kind of his whole philosophy of life. It's just kind of like, smile, you know, smile and nod, spill some soda on the court if you need to. And then when you get a better offer, you know, like kind of, you know, wiggle your way out of it. I, I don't know. There is a certain level of, you know, behavior that's a little bit difficult to justify. Um, I guess I would throw him into that, that quitting category on the, uh, for the Nets. You know, I, I think if I was – if they had, you know, a
1: large, loud fan base – he would get more crap that he has. He was uh, at the time using the migraine excuse to get out of games towards the end of his Nets tenure, which is uh, well, it's see, one of those things it's, where it's like, yeah,
0: that's another one where like that one will work for me. But you, I better not find out that you're playing video games in the locker room if you're saying that you've got a migraine. I want you laying down with your eyes closed and uh, you know a towel draped over your eyes because that's no joke. Migraines can take people out. I am very sympathetic towards those who have migraines. um, But
1: I understand there was people who questioned it even then. So one of the more comical ones that I came across in doing a little bit of research for this was uh, Cedric Zabalos. Do you know, before I... Tell what happened to you. Are you familiar with what he did?
0: <laughs> no, no,
1: I am not. I, my knowledge
0: about Cedric Sabalos is basically limited to the, the finals, 93 finals, and then the slam dunk contest with the blindfold, which I'm sure he could not <laughs> see through. Um, so what did he do? What, how did he quit?
1: Okay, so in, I believe it was 96, when Magic Johnson went back to uh, the Los Angeles Lakers, Uh, Cedric Sabalos was their leading scorer and kind of their their best player, I guess, at that time. And when Magic came back, all of a sudden his shots and his touches and his minutes were going down. So in the middle of the season, I guess while they were like in a playoff race, he uh, excused himself from the team and decided to go water skiing in Arizona and he missed four or five games. And he cited personal problems, uh, and it was well-documented that he indeed did not have personal prob- problems. He was enjoying himself. Um, his personal problems was no- not enough rest and relaxation during the ju- season. <laughs> ju- yeah, just an epic quit right there by Cedric Sabalos. I- I'm honestly surprised that that story is not more widely known just because it's so comical and incredible. Like, I- I- that's... Amazing. I love that story.
0: That's a great one. I mean, that's right up there with like all the one, two, three Cancun things, you know, uh, th- those <laughs> kinds of jokes. But yeah, that's inexcusable. Clear quitting. Um, do
1: not abuse the personal reasons, uh, you know, excuse. That's that's unacceptable. So uh, speaking of the Lakers, uh, I think it should be mentioned that uh, what Kobe did in game seven of the first round against the Phoenix Suns Um when the Lakers held a 3-1 lead, I think it was 2006, and he took three shots in the second half, um, and the Lakers blew a 3-1 lead. I just want to mention that one. I guess that's quitting. I mean, if you go back and watch that game, the Lakers really had no chance at all anyway. I mean, it was like, I guess they could have come back, but they were down like 32-15 or something like that in the first quarter. But for him, I mean, for him not to shoot really at all when— that was the season when he was, like, the gunner in the NBA. And uh, Charles Barkley and some other analysts, like, after the game, were just, like, crushing him for his what he did. And it just kind of—I remember watching that game and kind of thinking that he probably should have shot the ball more um, and was kind of really yeah. frustrated by criticism of people saying that he was— you know, a ball hog and he couldn't pass. So he just decided to just pass basically every time he touched it. Yeah. Look, I mean, he, he checked out for work at three thirty instead of waiting till five. I mean, that's, <laughs> that, that's pretty, you know, I think we can all agree on that one.
0: Um, what else you got?
1: So Tracy McGrady, um, in 2009, people should go back in and, and YouTube this. He plays a game against the Toronto Raptors where he's for large segments, just basically standing at half court and every time his teammates would pass him the ball it was basically just it was four on five he just was not playing um you know there would be a transition sequence and uh he's just letting the other team go by him for a layup he's uh as soon as someone whips the ball out way out to him because he's wide open granted 45 feet from the basket he just immediately looks for a teammate and passes him the ball and then after the game he's asked about it and he says it's kind of hard to get in the groove when you're only touching the ball once every five minutes. So that was a situation where TMAC 1,000% uh, quit on the Houston Rockets and should be brought up and remembered more than it is, I think.
0: Yeah, that's a big-time pout quit. There's no question.
1: <laughs> now, Michael, why can't I get
0: one of these to happen when a game that I'm at? I think I can just see myself frothing at the mouth getting excited to the question a player why did you stand at half court for the entire game it just seems like incredible such a, such a fun you know uh, moment for the media I'm kind of impressed that he actually did a post-game media session but maybe he had the point that he wanted to make of you know give me the ball more often so um, just in case the coach didn't pick it up on the post-game film
1: analysis he'd be able to read it in the local paper afterwards <laughs> uh, yeah. what else you got so I have another kind of question for you. I don't know if this is technically quitting. Some would probably say it's quitting. Some would say it's a player exercising his rights. Uh, Jimmy Butler, after his first year with the Minnesota Timberwolves, uh, is that is that quitting or is that not quitting? That's quitting. There's there's no
0: doubt. Because um, he yeah. knew, here's the thing. He knew exactly what he was doing and he knew it would work. Right. So I mean, it was it was quitting. Uh, I guess it was. Quitting masquerading as a power play, right? Um, But, you know, certainly not team-first behavior. uh, No possible way you're going to be able to resolve it after the fact. You're basically throwing a grenade into your own locker room, you know, and not telling anyone that you're doing it. Um, (laughs) A very disappointing moment for him, um, I guess, you know, over what's been a pretty impressive career, and especially to that point, which had been kind of a career on the rise where he's making a big difference in Minnesota and taking them places they hadn't been. Um, you know, obviously he had his reasons for frustration and I, you know, you can fully understand those, but I guess he looked at it like the Timberwolves weren't up to his standards. So what does it matter if, if he's quitting on them? And that's not good enough for a franchise level player. You you gotta, you gotta be more invested. That's my take.
1: I agree. Um, it was, it was not the most professional behavior you could have, uh, but, You also are able to kind of see why he's frustrated. And as someone who, not to the level that Scottie Pippen was underpaid... But Jimmy Butler certainly looked at the Andrew Wiggins contract and was very. Right. uh,
0: But Michael, I mean, look, NBA stars have been getting overpaid or underpaid compared to their teammates since the NBA even existed, right? I mean, uh, some of this goes back to just like proper workplace decorum. Like, if you walk into your cubicle and you're just like, Bob is making 75 cents per hour more than I am, and Bob sucks, he takes an hour and a half lunch break. (laughs) every single day. And this whole company sucks. You guys aren't even trying to be better than our major competitors in the, you know, the paper products market. This is BS. I want out of here. And like, you know, you're just flip. It's like, okay, bro, like we get it. That's that's a you problem. That's not a company culture problem. And of course, you know, the Timberwolves need to be better. They're one of, uh, you know, the, the losingest organizations since they were founded in the NBA. There's no question about it. It wasn't a fit once the initial sheen of that, uh, you know, Thibodeau relationship wore off there. Um, but as the as the best player on organization, you have to set the standard in good times and bad. And if you're only showing up when things are going well, and you're part of the problem when things are going poorly, you absolutely deserve to be judged for that.
1: Yeah, no, that's really well said. Um, I have, I think, only one more pretty. Well, I I have two more. Then I'll, the first one's really just a quick uh, shout out to Andre Balach who in 2012 was listed as uh, on the official uh, program uh, not with team conditioning Ooh, which is uh, it's it, it's like the the team just basically accusing you of, <laughs> of quitting on no, them see that's where the team
0: is like look you're not quitting on us you're quitting on yourself you've quit on life
1: (laughs) yeah so i thought that that was just a really funny one um and just eternal (laughs) eternal shout out to uh andre blatch who really made the uh the nba more colorful this is why i want Uh, more amnesty clauses by the way uh just because you you get
0: remember you get reminded of these just great characters throughout nba history all right who's your last
1: one so the last one uh is pretty interesting um Uh, Derek Rose, who went AWOL in 2017 when he was on the New York Knicks and just he left the team because I think he was he explained it in his book. He was just burnt out, contemplating retirement, um, really struggling mentally. And uh, he just peaced out in the middle of the season. Uh, It's this is, again, just, like, literally, I don't know what other word there is than he quit on the team. But, again, you kind of understand. I think you can try to understand where he is coming from and what he is was going through at the time. Yeah, that's a situation
0: where I'm not really going to hold that one against him. I mean, first of all, if it's a mental health situation, I don't think we should be painting that as quitting. I think that we should no. be painting that as, like, look, you have to put your you know yourself first and I don't usually defend Derrick Rose for a lot of the things that he's done off the court but I think that's a situation Mm -hmm. where it's at least a little bit understandable um you know at the same time when you look at that team they were going absolutely nowhere um you know I think they finished like 31 and 51 I'm looking it up right now if they finish 51 and 31 do you think he's still taking the leave of absence you know um if he is that tells you it's serious. Um, If not, I think, you know, to me, it adds a layer of context of like, okay, well, what's he really costing these guys? You know, like what's what's really the implication here? If if their season's already over, he's not going to be the savior. Uh, And he was at a different uh, a a difficult place with his body at that point as well. Right. Um, right. So, I mean, to me, I I don't know. I'm letting him off uh, off the hook on that one.
1: Yeah, I could see. I I just go back to in my head where we were in that time. And just I remember it was just one of those like Twitter stories where uh, no one knew what was going on. I'm pretty sure the Knicks were just like flummoxed and couldn't really account for his whereabouts. So 100% agree with you that mental health... um, is a priority, and he should take care of that. But you sh- probably should still communicate your whereabouts and what's going on and instead of just kind of, like, piecing. You know what I mean? I do.
0: and you, I mean, that's part of your responsibility, for sure, is informing your employer. Now, did something get lost in the game of telephone because the PR people didn't want to say anything and they were just trying to cover for right, him and yeah. everything else? I mean, that, that part gets very tricky. Um, you know, you want to do right by your organization. But I think, ultimately, in that situation— you owe it to yourself, your family, and your boss, right? And you know the rest of it. You know, you, the public doesn't really need to know that you're, you know, contemplating retirement and beside yourself and everything else like that. I mean, it's you know there there are lines, I guess is my point. And you know, hopefully you answer the questions when you're capable of. But if you don't have answers yourself and you're trying to find them, um, you know, I think that attention can get overwhelming uh, for certain people. You know, another similar situation to that, and I'll close on this one, Michael would be Larry Sanders. Now I did like this big profile Mm -hmm. story on Larry Sanders and he was like really excited to talk about his artistic drawing work. And um, maybe I should have been tipped off by the fact that he seemed to have a lot of like plant metaphors in his artwork, um, which, you know, I don't know, I guess I just let kind of slide under the radar at that point. Um, but it was clear to me that even though he was playing, you know, important minutes on a team and he is coming off a season where he was getting all these awards for his defensive prowess and everything else like that, that his mind was kind of elsewhere. Um, and you know, he, he wound up quitting like two or three weeks later, just retiring from the sport. And I think it's, you know, the, really the only word to use is I guess his passion was gone or he was more interested in other things, or he was dealing with substance abuse problems or kind of all of the above. And, you know, I think, for a while there it almost was like inconceivable because this guy was such a high level defensive impact type guy. I mean, almost in the category of like a Rudy Gobert in terms of when he's on the team plays amazing defense when he's off, things kind of fall apart and perhaps, you know, the passage of time and getting towards more versatile defensive players and needing to have offensive guys who can stretch and, and and kind of needing more from your, your centers than just that one dimensional ability uh, might've caught up with him. And and maybe it wouldn't have been as big of a, a problem Uh, but it's kind of a big what-if, right, Uh, for that franchise. Like, if they had just a solid backline center for years that they could have counted on, um, does the Giannis story play out a little bit differently, right? Uh, Maybe they're in a a different situation. Uh, Who knows? Uh, But I think that's one where we should, you know, kind of circle and say, like, look, he obviously had stuff going on off the court, um, but he also just, like, flat-out lost his passion for basketball.
1: Yeah, he... Wrote a, a piece for the Players Tribune shortly after he agreed to a stretch provision, which, by the way, is paying him $1.9 million through 2022. So he's still getting checks from the Milwaukee Bucks, which is pretty incredible. Um, yeah, he 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 wrote in the players tribune that, you know, he had to enter the Rogers Memorial Hospital and enter a program for anxiety and depression and mood disorders. So, I mean, oh yeah, all you can do is hope that he's doing well and uh, is enjoying his post basketball life and and all the best to Larry Sanders. I think
0: he was making jeans at one point playing for the big 3. So, he had stuff going on. He tried some comebacks as well. Um so, you yeah, know, it, yeah, it was there was different chapters for him, but definitely a, a what could have been story. You know, right up there with a few others who we mentioned today. Well, Michael, we managed to go for more than an hour on the NBA's biggest quitters, but I know we did not cover everyone. So if you've got a player for your favorite team or maybe one of your favorite players who just had an unfortunate chapter of his career and you want to add him to our list of the NBA's biggest quitters, email us openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. If you have any points you want to argue, if you think guys who do Uh, fail to see projects through where, you know, in terms of, you know, getting their team over the hump to a title and changing spots in free agency. If you think those guys are quitters, make the case, let us know. I'm certainly interested to hear your perspective. Uh, Hey, Michael, the the listeners can find us on Apple Podcasts by searching for Open Floor. That's two words. When they get there, they can scroll down. It will say Rate and Review. Tap five stars. It's just that easy to help us spread the word about this podcast during the ongoing pandemic. Michael, you're on Instagram and Twitter at Michael Viz and Victor Pina. I'm on Instagram at Ben Doc Oliver on Twitter at Ben Goliver. We will return later this week with a breakdown of the latest episodes of The Last Dance, as as well as a whole bunch of great questions that we got that came in over the weekend from the Open Floor Globe. But guys, keep those coming in. We cannot get enough. Hey, Michael, until later this week, I will talk to you. Talk soon, Ben.